This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 139 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Philip K. Dick's 1966 short story, We Will Remember It For You Wholesale, and its 1990 adaptation, Total Recall. Alright man, this movie was a fucking trip. It was out there, it was wild, it was buck wild, I don't know, (laughs) there's so many adjectives to throw at it. Um, The story was something else too. Uh, I'm excited to get into this one and and sort of get back into our coverage uh, of books and movies. It feels like in some ways like the height of excess, right? It's like the ultimate 80s, 90s transitioning period. Like CG wasn't wasn't super heavily involved in this movie, only a little tiny bit. And we have like insane practical effects. We have Arnold at the the height of his powers being Arnold, uh, action movie star, firing machine guns. Um, and then there's still some social commentary in this movie that I think that I think is is you know notable. I think within this big sure. big movie that I think people responded to well at the time, it, you know, it earned its R rating. There was sex, violence, blood, gore, yeah, guts. Uh, I think it still struck. There's still something in it that I think makes it memorable to this day. Absolutely. And height of excess is a great way to describe it. I, I had a note where I was like, man, every time this movie takes c- can possibly go above a 10 it goes above a 10 it, it like breaks the fucking meter off you know yeah. what i mean like it it just turns it up to a 13 it's wild like it's it's just so over the top and wild like i don't i don't know how to describe it but um i you know before this before we started recording i was a little bit congested and i was like i gotta go you know take some nasal spray and and you know clear up the sinuses and uh, I think injecting a stimulant into my nose is probably the perfect metaphor for this movie. Do you feel like you're reaching up to pull your tracker out of your out of your face? <laughs> yeah, or or uh, doing something else in the '80s with a mirror <laughs> and a and a razor blade. Yeah. You know, it was <laughs> it was wild. But you know, before we get into it, I mean, it's a lot of fun, and we're gonna have some fun talking about it. And like you said, there's there's definitely some important important stuff going on in there. Um, we did want to sort of address the the ongoing situation in america um we we released a statement last week where we talked about how we support black lives matter we believe that black lives matter and that we support the protests that are ongoing this is you know a movement not a moment um and we want to express our continued support for it um even while we do sort of get back into the podcast uh routine that we we had going before right and you know we aren't the best voices to be listening to on the subject right now we think Clearly, there are great resources out there. I urge anyone to seek out these resources and let's let's all continue to grow and learn from this and, you know, create a better community for everyone. Yeah, I mean, growing and learning, I think, is something that I have really tried to do because this situation is one where I sort of looked at myself and continue to identify unconscious biases. I think that's something that all of us have um, across the spectrum. Um, whatever experience you live, um, having bias is, is part of being human. And I think 
learning to recognize them and, you know, resist them when they're affecting you and also recognize the effect of like um, majority bias. Like if a majority of people have a certain bias, how that's going to affect a system in a way that will be oppressive, right? Like it, 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 a shared bias be, always gets written into policy. <laughs> like is, a, I think, a way that to think about it. And I don't know. It's just something that like I'm still getting into and I'm still learning more about it and I'm still thinking more about it and I want to continue to do that and I want to internalize it and I want it to become you know an ongoing part of the way that we look at books and movies on this podcast yeah I mean that like you you saying internalize really that that really encompasses exactly what I want to do at this at this moment in time is just is really internalize everything that I'm hearing and, and try to change my perspective to the point that I you know, I feel like I'm doing all I can for, for people with my privilege and in the, in the situation I am and, and just acknowledging, like you said, maybe some biases. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to take that moment to make sure that we are going to continue to show support on the podcast. And, and, you know, if we see something in a story, we're going to call bullshit on it. And, um, you know, we've tried to do that to this point and we're going to continue to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes, you know, as someone who's trying to write right now, um, it can feel like art is is in some ways frivolous and it can feel unimportant. Um, but I think it's important to remember that it's the opposite of that. Like in many ways, you know, whether it's a book or a movie or what have you, something else, art is so important. And um, it is important in the time it's written and important in the time it's made, but also important later um, because it can become sort of an artifact of a time. Um, I, I think we often try and look at stuff from the perspective of the creators who were behind it, the creatives who created it. Um, but there is also something to be said for pieces being a byproduct of culture and being a byproduct of the time they were created in. And so looking back at pieces, you know, like a movie like this or a short story like this, it does show me something about what people were thinking about in this time and what people were what thought were was entertaining or or thought was was you know okay to to say you know what i mean like there is there's so much you can look at yeah like like things that people thought were progressive or forward thinking and you're like you know that you could see them taking that step but maybe it wasn't far enough you know in hindsight right yeah so we're going to continue to look at things from that perspective right um but once again we're two white dudes um and we totally recognize that so um, I actually want to shout out another podcast that I'll recommend. Um, it's called Black Chick Lit. Great podcast, um, and you should check them out if you want to hear about books from a black woman perspective, um, which I think is very valuable right now. So uh, I'll put a, a link to their show in the show notes. Um, go check them out. All right, so transitioning into our coverage here, we first read the short story. We will remember it for you wholesale. What is it? <laughs> Yes, we will remember it, remember it for you wholesale. Yeah. Philip K. Dick's uh, naming conventions continue to be pretty amazing. Uh, he loves these like sentences, like "Do right. androids dream of electric sheep?" Right? You know, it was funny because like when when I just said that, I thought that I said it correctly, but there was like a word or two in there that I thought I misplaced. But yeah, we will remember it for you wholesale. Yeah. Right. Uh, which I I want to go ahead and place with the other Philip K. Dick stuff we've done. So we covered the the Minority Report, which was a short story that was adapted into Minority Report. Um, that was written in 1956. This short story came out in 1966. So this is this is 10 years into his career, you know, t- further into his career, and two years prior to Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Maybe he had started writing it at this point. I don't know, but it definitely wasn't out yet. 
Um, so just situating it like where we are in the in the Philip K. Dick spectrum. I know there's lots of other adaptations. I'm sure this is an author we're going to return to. Um, we've touched on his pers- personal life and, and some of our other coverage. Um, I think some of the important things to know is that he had many wives, and we've constantly found um, sort of a, a through line of sexism in a lot of the stuff we've read from him um, that, that, is, that is also coupled with these like big sci-fi ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was on full display here. I don't think there was anything different yeah. to that so far in this short story. Something I'm realizing from his writing, too, is just how he has these massive concepts and then always leaves the reader wanting more. And it's it's so nice to have filmmakers take that and then create like a full world around it. Because he, he'll place you in a moment in time and tell you sort of the technology around it or like the sci-fi elements and then, you know, put you through some of the steps. And then it seems like for the most part, the filmmakers that have adapted a lot of his stuff have taken it and run with it and kind of made it their own. Um, but yeah, in this case, it was one of those ones where it was it. We, we get a few scenes that do show up somewhat in the, in the movie, but um, really it's sort of the skeleton of what the movie would become. Right. Like you said, I, it's a great point. It's like, it's like a jumping off point. And when I read the story, I was like, Oh yeah, I could see reading this and going, I want to make a massive action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger out of this story. Right. And when you decide you're going to do that, um, there's so much you can do with this concept as sort of the base for it. But um, let's save the movie, I think, now, and let's focus on the story. Um, it's it's actually a pretty simplified version of it, right? Like, we talked about Quail is this, like, he's... I don't think he's a minor in the story, but he is this, like, every man who's bored of his life, um, and he, he's having dreams about Mars, and he has a wife that, in true Philip Dick fashion, is terrible, um, he has this awful relationship with her. She she's sort of mean and judgmental, and he always is talking about her face and how like she scrunches it up and it's like giving him nasty looks all the time. And and then he also has like m- moments of paranoia about her, of course, that just grow throughout. Um, which have just a little bit of Philip K. Dick we've read. I'm like not surprised at all with mm-hmm. this this wife character. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to this total recall place because he wants to have this memory of Mars. He he's he's like pining for like he wishes he could travel there, but he can't afford it. Um, and then he gets an implanted memory. Something goes wrong. He uh, he leaves. He leaves with like bits of the memory. And then he goes back to demand his money. And then they say they never implanted the memory. And actually, he does have this memory because he really did go to Mars, and he really is a secret agent. And then some secret agents come to his house, and you know he has to escape from them. Um, they're tracking him in his mind, and then they they bring him in finally at the end. And he gets another memory implanted that's based off of this fantasy he had as a child uh, because he wants to have he, he negotiates with them to not have them kill him. And he says, well, if I can just believe this fantasy, it'll be harmless and it won't it won't bother anyone, but it'll be big enough that I won't seek out this Mars memory. And so he bases it off this fantasy he had as a child where these like miniature like these small aliens came to Earth and threatened to destroy it unless he like kept I forget, like kept their secret or something like I forget what it was. It was like, yeah, it was. It I was, think it had something to do with he. Um, they 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 grew to like him so much that they said they would never they wouldn't destroy the earth as long as he lived. Right. Yeah, that's right. He surprised them with how you know how good of a guy he was. I guess. And anyway, so he says, "Well, let's just make that the memory." They implant that into his head, and then lo and behold, it's already there once again. This really happened, and they realize they can't kill him because then these aliens would come and destroy the earth. And so both of these situations are about them trying to implant a memory that ends up actually being true, um, which I also think is kind of interesting to remember going forward with the movie. But uh, yeah, this was 
this is the story. And and uh, I don't know how did it how did it stack up to you? Oh, before we get into it, actually, before you answer, I have never. I realized watching Total Recall that I had never seen that. Oh movie. wow! I was aware of it. I had seen certain scenes referenced and like all kinds of stuff. Sure, somebody had um, at least some at some point in your adolescence talked to you about a three boobed woman, right? Oh, absolutely. I knew that was coming. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's lots of stuff I was aware of, but I had never actually seen the movie, and so I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions. What's funny though. I did see the 2012 remake. Oh, man. I haven't seen that. Okay, so I have seen that. And, like, I barely remember that movie. You know, speaking of Total Recall, I barely remember the movie. I found it forgettable. (laughs) So, uh, I I don't know. I actually kind of want to watch it again now that I have seen Mm -hmm. this. Anyway, I'm getting off the rails. But my whole point being that I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions going into reading this. I really didn't know what to expect. But you had seen the movie. Mm So I'm curious what this story read like for you. I I think I brought, as I sometimes do when I've seen the movie first, some of the baggage of the of the movie, and I felt like the main thing I walked away with is is thinking about how it seems like sort of, and it's, it's especially is in the movie, but even in even in the book in the story here, it seems like wish fulfillment, right? It just seems like I am the most important person in the world. That if I die, the world will end, and like sort of being a savior just by existing. Um, and, but I like, I mean, knowing that sort of some of the, some of the stuff was coming, this, the, the alien stuff, I had no idea that was coming. The sort of like, you know, aliens being on the table. I, I was, I understood that, but aliens who came down and basically liked him so much that they wouldn't destroy the earth, uh, not expecting that. And it's very different from sort of the way that aliens play a part in the movie. All in all though, the, this idea of, you know, as, as with many Philip K. Dick ideas, the idea of someone has something planted in their memory, just the idea of going on a trip to Mars as being like an implanted memory. I think that's an amazing idea. And then you take that and then you have a character who's already has that memory and you know, all the twists and turns that come from that. Having it be about a secret agent just always is going to remind me of like a Bond or like a sort of a Jason Bourne type thing. So knowing that he's like a secret agent that had memories that were wiped away, things like that, things that he doesn't remember kind of made me think of that. You know, and I, I want to situate this where it's at in time, right? This is written in the 60s. So these ideas, like, I can see how this was amazing, you know? And, and I want to mention this story was first published in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, which is a magazine that is still ongoing today and has this storied history. And uh, it's it's amazing to me to think about how big these ideas were for the time. And I think that's what, you know... I, that's what sold people on it. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, this is, this is something notable. Um, he had already, you know, built himself a little bit of a reputation by this point, but, um, he wasn't, you know, Philip K. Dick. We know, we know today, you know what I mean? I don't think he had cemented his legacy. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascinating story. And, uh, you know, a lot of my problems with Philip K. Dick are on display. I, I didn't feel like the characters were particularly, um, deep uh, or well-rounded but the the idea of fucking with your memory and how that affects story is is endlessly fascinating to me right like our 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 memory is is so closely tied to our identities and i think that is something that he's touching on here like he wants to have an identity of someone who is important and so he's willing to pay to have that artificially given to him but through the act of paying to have it artificially given to him it is instead revealed to have always been the case so i think you're right on with that like how important it is about it being sort of a power fantasy because 
at the end of it, the the way you're left feeling is like, ooh, what if what if you know all of us had a secret history that were actually super important? You know what I mean? Like that could be true, and and sort sort of it gives you that that power fantasy moment at the end, I guess. This idea of of anything that that your mind can or can't remember, you know, it's reminiscent of something like Memento, which we we really enjoyed on the podcast here. Um, in the way that like if I'm having something that the main character can't remember um, and how that would affect it, it in effect forms the person that you are, what your memories are forms, forms who you are. And I think we see some of that in the movie here as well, where we see seemingly he was a kind of a garbage person and then changing his memories and everything like that fully changed him into the person that that we see as the hero at the end of the story. And, you know, we can we can debate on whether everything was implanted all of those, all of those little screens that they had that were they were showing, of uh, the corporation maybe manipulating that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that when we get to the movie. But this idea of like memory shaping the person that you are and how like changing one thing could drastically change your personality or your ideals on some your, your the way you think about things. Yeah, and, and you know I I, I kept thinking of uh, another movie that was that memory is really uh, important it is uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, right. Um, that movie's more about forgetting, but I think it's still getting into that same concept of like memory and how tied it is to identity and, uh, you know, putting in a memory that isn't, isn't real, isn't authentic and what that would do to somebody. And, and, you know, it's funny because this, this idea is so big that I'm like, of course there's been 25 other movies made about this yeah. <laughs> because this, this story barely scratches the surface of what this could mean. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm not, again, I'm not a historian when it comes to science fiction, but I assume this is one of the earliest examples of this sort of thing, um, in this, in this fashion. So, um, you know, it's just fascinating to see the, the sort of legacy that this idea has had. Right. And I think that's a lot of what people love about Philip K. Dick is sort of the, the legacy that he left and the ideas that, that sort of people have taken and run with, made their own versions of, or just were inspired by. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just to touch on the sexism again, there's only two women characters in this short story. One of them is a receptionist who always has her breasts bared whenever he sees her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is his wife, who is pretty much terrible, um, is actually against him. I think she she is connected with the agents. Oh, no, no. she she. Sorry, that's the movie. She divorces him in the story. It, it, he starts having this like paranoia and he starts talking to her about how he was actually an agent and she just divorces him and leaves. Um, you know, this is such, such Philip K. Dick classic, uh, (laughs) woman characters. So, uh, be prepared if you do go into the story that that is going to be in there. Yeah. So ultimately I think, I think a good jumping off point as, as we've said, and I think that that's what many people saw with this story. There is, it passed through many hands. At one point, David Cronenberg was attached for actually a a pretty large, uh, period of time. He, some, and some of the concepts remained from what I read. I think Kawato is a is a holdover from sort of Cronenberg's part of it. And I think I think a lot of the body horror that you see in it in this in this movie sort of you know was a holdover from maybe Cronenberg. But the person who ultimately directed this film's name is Paul Verhoeven. He's a Dutch director, screenwriter and film producer active in both the ne- Netherlands and Hollywood. Verhoeven's blending of graphic violence and sexual content with social satire are trademarks of both his drama and science fiction films. Wait, wait, wait. I have to ask. Is he connected to RoboCop? He is connected to RoboCop. 
Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. I just recognize the style. Yep. Okay, so there's going to be a couple of things that are that are pretty massive here for Paul Verhoeven. Another maybe another piece falling into place for you. So he found success growing up in the Netherlands, and um, you know had had many movies come out there, and then eventually made the transition to to America. And his his first American directed film was RoboCop. So other than RoboCop, which came out in 1987, other famous films that I think you might be familiar with are Total Recall, which we just watched, 1990, Basic Instinct in 1992. Showgirls oh, wow. in 1995, Starship Troopers in 1997, and Hollow Man in 2000. That's so funny, man, that Starship Troopers. I was just thinking about that movie the other day and and how over the top. And I was like, oh, man, you know, this reminds me a little bit of Starship Troopers. It's over the top sci-fi that's super mm-hmm. violent and and has this like social satire going on. And I had no idea it was the same director. That's funny. Right. Well, I mean, Robocop as well. I think, I think you can oh, look yeah, at Robocop sure. as like this sort of... I don't know. It's kind of a landmark film. It, it's it dealt with. It has this way over the top '80s action, uh, and then in there is this social commentary about you know fascism, basically, or or totalitarianism, and sort of just this idea of overbearing government. Yeah, isn't it like it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but isn't it about like corruption and the police and stuff? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So like, I, I would be fascinated to watch that movie again in light of you know recent events. Um, I'm sure it's not perfect or anything, but, but yeah, I, I had almost forgotten that. Like it, it, it feels like it's, you know, when people remember it as like a pro cop movie, but it's really all about corruption, right? Exactly. And, and and I think that you can see that in all three of the, the major films that we're talking about here, Robocop, Total Recall and Starship Troopers, where we see Robocop as sort of like you're saying, there's, there's, uh, corruption in the police department and some corruption in the government. And then here in Total Recall, we're seeing corruption in corporations and corporations, you know, basically dictating how people live their lives. And then we see in Starship Troopers, we see the military and the military industrial system and and uh, just how, you know, these things can be corrupt uh, and yeah. sort of and, and in a really interesting satirical way. I think a lot of people watch RoboCop or Total Recall and Starship Troopers, and they, you know, I don't know that they necessarily pick up on everything that's being said there. It's a, it's a, you know, because I think on the surface you could see it as this over-the-top action '80s film with sex and violence and blood and gore and all this, but I think he's very carefully threading in some some major themes that that he uh, wants the audience to think about. Something something that I found in my research about Paul Verhoeven was, as a small child, he had lived through the Nazi op- occupation, and the experience shaped him, not only in films that would address the war directly, like Soldier of Orange and Black Book, but in genre entertainments that smuggled themes about life under fascism. I can see it, uh, and, and it, it that ties into kind of my thoughts on this movie. I don't know if we want to get into sort of general thoughts yet, or if you have sure. more history you want to hit me with. Yeah, I mean, I'll have other stuff throughout, but let's get into general thoughts. Yeah, so, you know, I had never seen this movie. I had seen the remake, which I have forgotten, and I'll have to have, like, a Total Recall, you know, situation <laughs> to even remember it, apparently. Um, I know Colin Farrell's in it. That's about all I remember. <laughs> yeah, and it's a potential bonus episode at some point for, for our patrons. Oh, absolutely. Like, we're going to cover it as a bonus. <laughs> Maybe even this month. We'll see. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this movie, man, like, I, I was I was conflicted about it, but, like, ultimately I had a lot of fun watching it, and, like... Right. I, I, at the end, I remember thinking, like, was this movie actually pretty good? Like, it's a pretty good movie. And it's and it's it's bonkers, though. Like, it is over the top wild in every situation it could possibly have. 
right. yet it's still pretty good. And like that's not, there clearly is some misogyny in here, and maybe some oh, prejudice yeah. and racism. Well, and, and like the the Benny character, I thought was an interesting example of that. Where at first I was ready to say like it, it's completely racist, right? Like he's he's a taxi cab driver. He's just there to help the main character, the white character, and all this stuff. Um, and that is still true. Yet he then inverts it by having him turn on him. And actually, right. I, that caught me off guard. I didn't expect Benny to turn on him. Right. Um, and and becomes a villain. And, you know, it's still a problem because there's just not enough black characters in this movie to where, like, a lot is placed on this one character. I think there's only, like, one other in this, like, right. the secretary, and, right, in the entire movie. And he movie. ultimately becomes a villain. But there are a couple of lines that are said as well. Like, at one point, he tells he tells him to, like, you know, use the money to go take his kids to the dentist or something like that. Like, that, yeah, that struck me as, like... teeth, yeah. And then there's the whole uncomfortable situation when he puts the towel on his head. And right. then he does that little bow where I think he's trying to... Right. You know, evoke, evoke like when it being a Sikh or something. I'm not really sure, but I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Something, but it wasn't, wasn't great. <laughs> um, but, you know, with the Benny thing, like it does feel like he was trying to say something else with it. Like he's like, oh, I'm going to have this character that you think is going to fit into a certain mold, this racist mold, and then I'm going to do something surprising with it. Now, like you said, like he doesn't go far enough and there's not enough other representation. So I don't want to like praise this guy too much for what he did, but. It's something, you know what right. I mean? Like, I mean, the character has more agency than just helping the character exactly. along his journey and all that. Like, there's something meaty there in the role for someone to dig into, you know? Like, that's a yeah. character that people would love to play. Well, it's dynamic, right? Like, he's got a hidden agenda. He's going he's gonna to have a turn. He's not just a sacrificial lamb like so many of these characters are in other, other films. So, um, But anyway, uh, back to my point about the movie. Like, surprisingly good starts off with eyeballs and a face like swelling up that's going to become apparently super important throughout the rest of the movie. This movie loves its decompression scenes. Oh yeah. Um and and, and what it theoretically does to the body, which it doesn't do. Not not like that, but you know, it's it's so over the top. You called it cartoonish earlier on and I think that's a good word for it. And you know, we talked about with the with the short story, the sort of idea of wish fulfillment. This is the ultimate like yes. 80s wish fulfillment movie because there's like multiple women are after him you know he's he's the biggest strongest person ever he's a secret agent on the run he can fight and Ar kill anyone in any way any arnold movie is sort of a white dude wish fulfillment movie at its base right because he's this like adonis right like everyone's supposed to want to be as far as physicality yeah and i mean i think maybe there's something being done here with sort of flipping that on its head and maybe some sort of satirical way because i think this movie is kind of poking fun at the action genre in certain ways while also yeah. doing all of the tropes and doing all of the things, all the fight scenes. Well, and, and yeah, you mentioned that it, you felt like it was kind of the quintessential eighties movie. And I had that same note written down. Like it, it really was, it felt like it was, it was trying to like be a culmination of all of the stuff that had been building throughout the eighties. Um, and then it got self-aware a little bit and it, mm -hmm. it kind of knew what it was doing. And, and I feel like that kind of broke it a little bit too. Like sometimes it can, it can happen when you get self-aware right? Um, in a weird way to where like, you know, what followed had to sort of change it. Like it couldn't be the same kind of movie as this. This is a, this particular brand of movie had sort of been done to, you know, 13 out of 10 on everything you could possibly do. So now we got to do something different. Right. Just to address a couple of things, as far as the production went, um, the writer, Dan O'Bannon, had had a falling out with the director Paul Verhoeven where Verhoeven replaced the satirical humor with extreme violence and the original screenplay dark humor which was much more prevalent but when Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger 
came aboard, Verhoeven recognized the, the necessity to tailor the script to Schwarzenegger's talents. So I guess there, you know, the writer felt that there was like things needed to be more funny. And then Verhoeven took it and said, we're making an Arnold movie. Let's make it satirical in the way of violence. Yeah, I'm curious what that, what that dark humor would have looked like. You know, I'm sure there's still a good bit of it in the movie. But um, I, I felt like the violence, I guess it did feel a little weird. But I quickly acclimated to it, and it was like, okay, this is sort of satirical of action movies, right? Like, he's going to get in a fight with people, and he's going to, like, there's going to be a little sharp thing that he rips off, and he's just going to stab it through someone's head, and then, like, he's going to punch someone in the face, and you're going to hear their neck crack, and like, everything was so bloody, and, over. you know, he gets in a gunfight at one point on an escalator, <laughs> and the person in front of him is just a random person, starts getting shot, so he just uses that as, like, a meat shield for the rest of the fight, and he gets shot, like, a million times, and then he throws the corpse at the bad guys and runs away, <laughs> like... Apparently, that scene had pushed... They they were they had to do some recutting in the edit because originally the 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 cut of this film that came out was rated was an X rating. So apparently because oh, of <laughs> this specific scene, they had to recut it in certain ways so that they could get it down to an R rating um, because it was wow. just so absolutely <laughs> excessive in every way. I do want to like this is I think a great time to shout out the special effects. Oh wait, before you before I, I had a question. Sure. This these special effects look familiar to me. It looked like maybe I'm wrong, but does this have any connection to the thing? Because I I was thinking of the thing. Yes, it does. In fact, have strong connections yes. to the thing. Yeah. So, uh, Rob Botton is an American special effects creator known for his collaborations with directors John Carpenter, Paul Verhoeven, and David Fincher. Botton worked with okay. Carpenter on both The Fog and The Thing, with Verhoeven on RoboCop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct and with Fincher on Seven and Fight Club. His other film credits include Legend, Inner Space, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Is Basic Instinct the famous like Sharon Stone movie who was yes. also in this movie? Yes. Okay, I, I need to see that apparently because I've, I've seen it referenced a million times, uh, but I've never actually watched the whole movie. And it's weird to think that it's this this director and this special effects crew, like what is that movie about? <laughs> right. I thought it was yeah. about, like, a, about lawyers or something. Like I have no idea clearly what that movie's about. I think it's definitely, I don't know if, is it based on a book? I'm not sure if it is, but I'm not sure. We should look. It'd be into cool. It. It'd be cool to cover that at some point because you know, I think if if RoboCop was based on a book, we would absolutely be covering it. Absolutely, um, yeah. And I think at some point we have plans to cover Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, that that's a re- that would be a really fascinating one to cover. Yeah. So I mean, we're gonna see a lot of Rob Botton. We've we you know vehemently have already said that we love him and his special effects. We spoke with Mike Arnzen on our on our thing episodes and spoke a lot about the special effects and what it meant to that film and what it brings to sort of the terror of that film. I think Rob Botton in this absolutely over the top batshit crazy movie took those special <laughs> effects and brought them in into this you know brought legitimacy to scenes and these special effects were absolutely amazing in this movie the even yeah. looking you're saying the eyes popping out of the face like any of the creatures or anything there's there's the scene of uh there's the scene where the you know he's dressed as a larger woman and then and then the uh like disguise comes off of his head and it's clearly all prosthetics and everything and then he throws the helmet all of that stuff looks basically photorealistic. All of it looks completely real. Um, and I just like can't say enough amazing things about this guy. He he is responsible for some of my fav- favorite special effects in movies. Yeah, Arnold has this, like, I mean, especially this time period, he kind of doesn't look like a real person. 
And so I think that lends itself to when you're making like f- like forms of his head, like it, 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 he's got such sort of uh, distinctive features that you because clearly like they've made several, you know, uh, models of his head that they do different things to different times in the movie. Um, A lot of times it's just like open mouth, like a really like strained face, open mouth thing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I kept expecting it to sprout spider legs and go walking off the table because it looked identical to that scene. <laughs> right. Um, it, it, the, the effects were wild. Um, you know, moratorium on over the top. We're not saying it anymore. And I'm going to hold you to that, too, because I okay, heard you say it a minute ago. <laughs> we got to find other descriptors. Um, but in this movie, the way that it works is that turn at the end where there's sort of an open question of, like, was this all a dream? Um, and in that sense... The cartoony cartoonishness of it all is explained away, right? Like it's sort of lampshaded. Like maybe that's why everything was so unrealistic and bizarre. Right. I mean, I have a couple things to respond to what you just said. The first I wanted yeah. to just talk about uh Paul Verhoeven and special effects supervisor Rob Botten had constant disagreements during the making of RoboCop, so it seemed unlikely that they would ever work together again. However, when they saw how good RoboCop had turned out, they changed their minds and Verhoeven gave Botten full freedom to make his own Martian creature designs for Total Recall. Which, wow. I mean, seeing the creatures, seeing the mutants in this film and, and seeing the Martians, that that is my favorite part of the movie like everything in the underbelly sort of and and and, you know it's reminiscent of a blade runner we have our people who are down in the slums having to live like that because of corporations and because of you know other people doing well uh just to just to draw that connection it's got to be there blade runner coming out before this it it has to have influenced it in some way um interesting yeah i mean it's funny because I, i i i guess i see the connection there but um, it felt so different because it was so bright. Like this movie is right. a very bright movie, whereas well, Blade Runner is not. Yeah, to fit the style, maybe maybe the style is just way different. We gotta we gotta say something about this thunder, man. I, at some point, people are gonna hear some thunder on your track because there is a crazy storm going on where you're at. Yeah, if you hear that thunder, I'm sorry. I'm gonna do what I can to pull it out, but it's probably gonna end up in there some. So you were speaking about Blade Runner. I was speaking about the the similarities. Just to just to double back to that. Dan O'Bannon, the person who had disagreements with Paul Verhoeven on this film, uh, Dan O'Bannon and, Ron- and Ronald Shusett previously worked together on Alien in 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. Wow. Love that movie. And then Scott went on to direct Blade Runner in 1982, which was also based off of Philip K. Dick's story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, apparently that film was inspiration for RoboCop. So, you know, Blade Runner was inspiration for RoboCop, which Paul Verhoeven there has a connection as well. Um, and then, you know, that all leads here to yeah. Total Recall. That's totally in the DNA. I can say, I, I mean, that's a direct line. So I, I feel you. One thing I kept thinking of was, did you ever play the video games uh, Red Faction? I played one of them. It came out in, I think, the early, early, early 2000s, I want to say they came yeah. out. There was a few of them. I played, I think I played like the newest one that came out. It was like the, like 2007 or six or something when I played okay. that one. And that was like the Martians. Like well, you... I'm thinking of like the first one and two. Like it was like Red Faction one, Red Faction two. I, I think are the ones that that I'm most remembering. This this was during the time of like Half Life. You know, like early Halo. Some right. of these were the games that were coming out. And anyway, it was about being I think a miner on Mars, and then like a rebellion happens. And when I was watching this movie, I kept thinking like they this had to have been the primary inspiration for Red Faction. Because the look of everything, like the, the red rock everywhere, the 
the digging machines, the 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 fighting back and the sort of rebellion of it all, like unless I'm misremembering, like I think that's all there in Red Faction. So I feel like this had to be the primary inspiration. So it's just funny how these ideas just go and go and go and go, right? Right. All from this Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, I mean I, I from the one that I played it, it felt the exact same way. It was, you know, it's just that that reddish tint that you see in every every Martian film. But it's like the 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 fact that this is I guess, you know, the comparison to, to Blade Runner uh, this isn't a film noir, you know, like Blade Runner is a film noir. Yeah. I think this is like a bright during the day. I don't know if you could call it cyberpunk, but it's got that underbelly. Yeah, I wouldn't call it cyberpunk really. where, you know, we meet colorful, we, we meet colorful characters. We meet for sure. You know, there's the sort of overbearing social system and the corporations, everything like that. Uh, I just think there are a lot of similarities there. Absolutely, man. Uh, I, that reminds me, I, I wanted to shout out this movie for going for it. Um, I think anytime I see a movie that is trying to predict the future and just just goes in 100%, you know, like we're we're going to have all this bizarre, you know, tech and like some of it ended up being kind of close and some of it ended up being completely wrong. And like that, you know, it's, it's just fun to look back at these time capsules of like what what people imagined the future to be like. Yeah, and we don't know if it's right yet. We still have like another sixty years to find out. Uh, I, I missed the year. Is that is that what it is? It's like twenty eighty. Yeah, I or? think it's like twenty eighty something. Okay, okay, yeah. So maybe there's still time where uh, where we'll have these giant pillar pillars of uh, phones that just to have the you know the video chat. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's funny. Um, how about those scanners, man? I, I actually really enjoyed those. Uh, the, the skeletons walking through, and um, a shout out to them for including a blind person with a with a dog. I'm sure they just included it because they wanted to show a dog skeleton because they thought that that would be interesting. But um, it is actually nice to see disabled people in the future. I know that's like been a big mm-hmm. thing that people have talked about. It's like not erasing all disabled people from 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 your sci-fi. So um, I don't know. I noted that. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. The the X-ray. Uh, moment all of that there was when i early on when i was talking about cg um that's the moment i was actually talking about this this was one of the last major hollywood blockbusters to make large scale use of miniature effects as opposed to cgi and you know we've talked a lot about how we saw the transition in the lord of the rings with peter jackson's the lord of the rings and i think that was the very end of it but this is like a a turning point this this was one of the first Although it was one of the last major blockbusters to use the large scale, it was also one of the first major Hollywood blockbusters to use CG, mainly for the scenes involving the X-ray scanner, in order to have it look photoreal. So from what I understand from my research, this the CG that they were going to use, there were sort of like motion capture programs they were going to use to, to just um, you know animate something that's moving in a similar way that a human body was. But apparently the software wasn't working correctly, so they had to actually go in and hand animate. Everything was like animated in a computer still, I believe, but it was fully animated uh, from the motion capture performances of people walking and everything like that. And just the use of technology of the time in 1990, the moment where he does, where the alarm goes off and you can see the gun and the scanner and he jumps through, that's a fun moment. It looked cool. It really works. Yeah, I mean, Yeah. yeah, I could tell it was them enjoying this this technology and this this vfx uh scenario that they had set up uh and you know sure it, it looks a little dated but it was still fun oh speaking of there there is this uh get your ass to mars is like a statement that i've seen on t-shirts and i didn't realize it was a reference to this movie but it sh- sure yeah, is. isn't that great <laughs> yeah, yeah i love it 
Get your SMRs. Yeah, apparently that was that that line wasn't necessarily in the script, and it was sort of an, an added thing at the end because I think they shot the the footage that you're looking at on the screen of Arnold. Mm-hmm. I think that was shot like later, and I think it was sort of like an ad lib situation or something like that, from what I was reading. So the get your SMRs, and and specifically Arnold Schwarzenegger saying get your SMRs in that way repeatedly on this like broken monitor mm-hmm. is like you know rats are shot their bloods all over the screen and everything um it's iconic and and like you said it's been used in a different way now that's you know a really positive thing you know get your ass to mars let's let's continue space exploration yeah it's a call to action for for people like we we got to get we got to get as humanity we got to get to mars so yeah i I think it's cool and i had no idea that it comes back to this moment and that that, i was talking earlier about like how important art can be like just that alone is like a a little example of of this this statement from this sort of campy um if i could call it that movie um you know 90s action movie early 90s late 80s action movie and yet it became a, a a call to action for many people in the scientific community um, that they that they sort of yep. like adopted. It's, I don't know. It's cool. So I, I I mean I think it's great. Sci-fi has always been important to STEM. You know, it's always been important yeah. to science and technology, engineering, mathematics. It's always been important to those things. And people will watch Star Wars, something like that, and just see you know space travel, see all of these things, and be inspired for the rest of their lives to to work towards these real world you know applications in ways that further the future. I was just talking about movies that go for it, right? Like. In some ways, it's funny how that feeds into things, right? Like we, people get inspired by, you know, Star Trek and being able to have video communications and or certain things, you know, and they in, inventors try and invent stuff based off of ideas they saw on a sci-fi. Um, so in that way, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. Like you could put it out there as like maybe technology could do this one day. And that's something people who are writing sci-fi today think about is like when you're proposing new tech, that is just out there and like maybe it's not even based off anything, but like wouldn't it be cool if tech could do this? Um, someone could could read that or see it and think like actually maybe there's a way it could do that, and and you could inspire someone to actually create it. And it's wild to think that it can have that effect, right? I mean, yeah, life life imitating art, right? right. And it's so interesting to think about. You know, some of the the greatest minds of our times are potentially you know being inspired by fiction and then making it a reality. Right. Well, and, and uh, it's trippy to think about. And, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about something else that's trippy. And that is there is a scene later on we get where the main spokesman from Total Recall shows up to, to uh, you know, Quaid's hotel room and tries to completely mindfuck him and tell him that this is all a dream and this is all just him back in the chair at Total Recall and then his wife shows up with him and tries to talk him out, and she's in on it. And um, maybe it still all is, I don't know. But uh, that scene was really fun, and and I liked how it, it turned everything on its head a little bit, um, which then sets up the moment at the end in a way that I think works really well, where it's not just a completely out of nowhere, like, hey, maybe this is all a dream. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that actually was hinted at earlier in the film. So you're you're kind of prepared to right. it for it in a way. So where I actually well, think it works better than some of the like M Night Shyamalan pull the rug out from under you moments that we we can sometimes get. 
there, there's multiple moments where it could start to become a dream for the character, right? Even there at the end, like, did did he actually rip his arm out of the restraint and stab it into the guy's throat, and then right. continue, like from that moment, is it a dream on? You know what I mean? Is the ending the dream? Is uh, is all of it a dream? I do have the statements on where Verhoeven and Arnie land on it, I believe. Interesting. But I okay, think before, we should, before we should you get read to that those, at the end. yeah, maybe maybe we should think about it. Like, I guess you've already read them, so maybe I don't know if that affects right. you at all. But if you can remember, um, for me, like, I don't know, I there is no, there is no. See, like, I I I guess I can see the code a little bit too much. You know what I mean? I I can see the hands of the creators on it too much to where it's hard for me to step back and say, oh, I think this is what happened. Because, like, there is no objective truth. It's all right. about interpretation. It's about, yeah, ambig- it's, it's about being ambiguous. Yeah. So uh, what, what, do, what do I find interesting? I find uh, this, whole, this whole wild ride to be interesting as um, something that probably happened with a tinge of maybe it didn't. And so I guess I, I like that. I like I like leaning towards it probably happened in the in the truth of the fiction um, with the with the chance that maybe it didn't. I, I guess I just fu- am fundamentally slightly less interested in this all being a dream, but I like the idea of it maybe being one. So that's where I'm at, which sounds noncommittal, but yeah. that's just the truth. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. It's the same sort of thing as like, at the end of the thing, like is uh, are, are is one of the characters actually a thing? Are they both humans? You know, leaving it up to the audience interpretation just always leads for more conversation. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people people appreciate it if it's done well. Um, now, do you want to know where Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger do. land on Let's it? Hear it? Okay, so Verhoeven, Verhoeven wanted to make the movie completely ambiguous so audiences would not know, even at the end, whether it was all just a dream. Verhoeven himself said he believed the ending was a dream, but at the same time, he also said that the casting of Arnold Schwarzenegger suggests it was it is not a dream, as most audiences who go to see a Schwarzenegger would be in favor of a reality ending as opposed to a dream ending. So he's using me- he's using like meta reasons to right. uh, <laughs> that's that's like another level, right? Well, like <laughs> I mean, that brings it back to sort of what I think he's able to accomplish with this movie. I was reading someone uh someone wrote this about sort of the oversexualism and the violence that is that's in this movie and how he's potentially able to slip in subtext of totalitarianism and social commentaries that allow general audience to love it like I said before for being a hard R uh and also through films like in a similar way to RoboCop or Star- Starship Troopers Verhoeven was able to make social statements wrapped around action sex and violence which which i feel like people are especially at this time we're responding to and so even if it's just the subtext that he's able to leave in there um i think like you know he's saying like this is an action movie with arnold schwarzenegger so the most of the people who go to see it are going to take the reality ending but i am leaving it open-ended enough to where you know if somebody wanted to dig into it there is sort of a well you know is it isn't is it a dream was it was right. It, well, it and it's not even just a dream because it's literally an empowerment fantasy for the character. And if it's all an empowerment fantasy and we're 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 enjoying this movie as an empowerment fantasy, it is speaking to us in a metafictional way of like, especially white dudes, like maybe this is all just a fantasy and uh you should we like should be aware. take a moment to think about what this fantasy means for us and like why 
why we might enjoy this sort of fantasy. What does that say about us? And, right, and what someone else might be suffering because of it. Sure. Speaking of just like fantasy things that I absolutely loved of this movie, um, these are the campiness moments. The, the one-liners in this movie... Mm pretty legendary as, a as divorce many. or whatever he said <laughs> yeah yeah uh just so many there's the the in, and then the the swearing and the insults the way that it comes about you said mindfuck earlier yeah. and they said mindfuck in the movie and i'm wondering if that's the first time i don't think it is but what if that's the first time somebody ever said mindfuck i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know uh what the history of the word mindfuck yeah i don't know there's a moment where uh the elderly woman's walking up to take the suitcase and he runs up and then he like snacks snags it from her and she's like you fucking asshole and like this this old woman's just like going off on him just the the use of insults and the way that things are said um i don't know and there's a couple moments where arnold it just always feels funny you know it's yeah. always it, it always lends itself to that satirical edge yeah i mean arnold is he's like he's so good at certain things and there is like an inherent silliness to him too though you know Mm -hmm. and uh it's on full display in this movie and uh it's one of the things that makes the one-liners kind of work in a weird way because it kind of leans into the like self-aware like he he had at this point already done this so much in other movies like of course he's gonna do it here um i don't know and then like the man like every time he tries to act out like the sounds of what it is like to fall down a mountain or to to try and strain against a machine or whatever it is like the the noises that come out of his mouth are so ridiculous and iconic right like you you can hear mm-hmm. him just struggling and know in an instant that it's arnold right it's like a it's like a yell mixed with a growl yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's <laughs> It's it's bizarre, um, and then and then also okay the one liners uh, I gotta I gotta mention, I thought they missed an opportunity with the arms right, like oh yeah he says I'll see you at the party later but like right is don't you gotta say something like don't you gotta use a pun about, about arms, arms or something like you, you know I really gotta hand it to you Richter or something like I I don't know like you, 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 I don't know <laughs> I was surprised they didn't go there yeah it showed Definitely. it showed like I mean, one of the only moments of restraint maybe in the entire movie <laughs> was not going for the pun. <laughs> Uh, can we talk about Arnold and the fact that he this potentially I mean he does represent I would say sort of a peak of a certain type of action movie I think we've already basically said that but is he the peak of action like what action movie star do you put up against Arnold Schwarzenegger in in sort of that caliber and able to carry anything no matter what in in this way too it's not necessarily You're talking about today or of all time uh of all time of course <laughs> okay. but what I'm trying to say is specifically like he balances camp and seriousness like I don't think anyone else can because anyone I think there's plenty of amazing serious action stars but he he Arnold has this specific camp about him yeah um, that I think is it's so unique I mean he's very different um, and I think the landscape of film has really changed and like the position of these sort of action movies has changed but uh, I look at the rock as as the yep. closest thing we have right now i think to that yeah um, i think you're right about that you know he's he's this he's got that physical you know stature and and the thing that people all want to like look at and like oh my god like women want him and men want to be him right like that's the thing right right um and then yet he's still got that humor like and he can and he can make fun of himself and he can you know what i mean so in that way i i think there's a similarity i definitely agree i think that that's a that's a great example 
So I did want to circle back to Verhoeven's sort of stance on the dream state of the movie. He Mm -hmm. does say, regardless of whether people believe the movie as a whole is a dream or reality, according to him, the first 20 minutes or so of the movie from the beginning up until when he first undergoes the implantation of his recall vacation, that's all reality. Sure. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I agree with that. So it's not like he, it's not like he, because I guess technically since he'd already in so, in some ways of seeing it, you could say like all of it is a dream, basically, or a dream state, or you know his world has been flipped upside down because previously he had already been in the machine even before the movie starts. Oh no, no, I, yeah, I don't like that either. I like that. Yeah, if you're gonna read it as a dream, you have to read everything up to the point of him going to Total Recall as being reality. Right. Um, and, and I, I want to. You highlighted on this a little bit, but I want to touch on it again. There are hints at that because of uh, the dream he has about the woman that his wife is jealous of. Um, there is the, the, the images on the screen when they're, when they're crafting the memory for him. He creates Melina or whatever that character's name was. He basically creates her, and I think they even show her face on that screen, like the, the face of the actor. So um, mm-hmm. that is a clear sign. And then they talk about the aliens of Mars and how things have gotten weird, and we're going gonna, we're gonna to have that in your, in your memory. Right, like they're they're doing all of these right. things to to hint that maybe it all was crafted. Yeah, I, th- you you keep bringing up things that that I think are just this movie's honestly like with all with as as sort of sparse the the actual plot is. It's pretty dense as far as details and everything. The the, the idea of the aliens and you know what they've left behind and what that sort of what you could what sort of stories you could tell from the aliens leaving things on Mars. Um, you know, we we've, we've talked a little bit about the the underbelly, but the mutant society and sort of uh, how they're able to adapt and and like they're able to survive, and yet they're still being oppressed by the lack of oxygen and this mm-hmm. idea that a corporation would hold that over them seems honestly scarily too real. Yeah, like, and how like and how they don't care and they're they're willing to just let them all right. die. Yep. Uh, the Johnny Cab. Did you love the jo- Johnny? Yeah, Cab? Yeah, I love the Johnny Cab. Yeah. Uh, again, sort of. Prosthetic um, animatronic character of some kind, and it just it's funny and and like you know makes sense because self driving cars are yeah, real thing a thing now yeah so but then it's also funny that they would have this animatronic character that you would interact with right like in phys- right. physically um, and then yeah. also uh, you know I love Arnold just ripping him out of the cab like when he gets frustrated right. and driving the little joystick and then, but then he also like turns red and gets angry and then like the, the car ch- almost kills him he has to like dodge it right like where, where right. was that <laughs> like, um, it was fun you know in this movie it, it's this fever dream right like it's not only is is does it feel like the people who were making it were drug fueled but the movie itself somehow feels drug fueled <laughs> right it's really something like the tone of this movie is so unique um and so in so quintessentially 80s just turned up it's wild right i would say like quintessentially verhoven too like it's yeah. so much i don't think there's another voice like him before or after i think that he was making specific it's such a small it's such a tight rope to walk yeah I, it's so it's he's able to make it you know socially conscious while also making it campy and fun and the action's great well, but i also don't want to say that he never trips on that on that tight rope because i think he does sometimes no yeah you know what i no, mean yeah, definitely yeah. but i just i i don't think anybody else is sort of able to his tone like you're yeah. we talking about nobody is able to strike that that tone as as 
I don't know. It's so specifically his voice, I would say. Well, and that's why I actually really think we should cover the remake as a bonus, because I didn't even realize how, I don't know, iconic this film was. So when they remade it, I, I don't think I appreciated all the ways in which the movie was in dialogue with the other. Um, and, 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 and I think at the time I remember reading, like, and failed to be in dialogue with, like, failed to to be a remake of that movie. Uh, maybe it's trying mm-hmm. to be more of a remake of the book uh, or the, the short story. I don't know. I think it'd be a really interesting one to touch on with our with our bonus episode this month if we want to just go ahead and commit and say we're going to do it. Um, I'm down, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. We do Let's it. say we're going to do it. We're going to watch the, the 2012, I think, remake that, you know, was made um, called Total Recall. And we'll we'll discuss it as a bonus episode on our Patreon. So go to Patreon uh, if you want to check that out. So you know we're talking about all these details. I did and and I did want to address the fact that like this isn't this wasn't like a small movie. You know this is this movie was like had full backing of massive massive production companies. It felt like it was a massive um, production. Yeah, right. And that's why the effects are world class. That's why you know the the it, everything looks really good and like the set design. Uh, that's because everything was top of the line. They were going for it. They were making these super risky movies like this. Um, I was reading that Paul Verhoeven signed onto the film in autumn of 1988. Filming began in Mexico City because of its futuristic architecture. 500 people worked on the film. They built 45 sets that tied up eight sound stages for six months. At the time, Total Recall was the second most expensive film in history next to Rambo 3. <laughs> random that's the rambo three okay yeah. uh wow so like the you know the, at the time this is the this is the superhero movies of what we have today the superhero movies of the 90s and 80s right well it's like take these huge action stars throw them into these massive sci-fi slash you know action adventure crazy scenarios and um you know just throw everything at the wall and i think we got some some like you said drug fueled potentially fever <laughs> dreams uh that that are great to that are great to watch this is a fun watch you know you know warts and all yeah absolutely man and i i'm curious how did this movie do because i've always heard that rated r movies are a big risk right and and people don't make them because you know people don't go see them in the theater so you're not going to recoup that budget um so i'm curious like did this is this movie like an a, a example of it actually being successful or did it did it not quite hit expectations so as far as i can tell the budget for the film was 65 million dollars which like i said was one of the most expensive movies at the time uh it was in 1990 and domestically just domestically it made 119 million dollars there you go so yeah this is like proof that it can work exactly which doesn't even go to speak to worldwide which i think most people know especially at this time schwarzenegger was a international icon uh, it made $261 million worldwide. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's something I, I, I mean, I, I think we're getting some of it, but I still don't feel like there's enough. Like, I want more big budget, Hollywood-backed, but adult, like serious, um, whether serious or not, like, like, uh, like, but movies that are being made for adults, right? Like, I want more of that. And, and I remember in, in, in the 90s and in the 80s, like there was a, a willingness to do that that I just don't see much in, 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 nowadays. Like everything is more of that like PG-13, wide, broadly appealing, nothing that's going to be too upsetting, right? Right. It's just because it's the potential of more money, right? I think yeah. it's the ceiling is higher on a PG-13 movie than an R-rated Capitalism, movie. damn I, you! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've bested me again, capitalism, <laughs> yeah. for the last time. My old enemy. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's not to say that that isn't happening. I, I, I think that that is something that's been, especially over since, like, there was a period of time in the 2000s where they were not making adult R-rated films. They were making, and if they were, you know, they were very few and far between, and and I don't know, they, they were somewhat broadly appealing, or indie films. Well, I think, like, the, um, the 2000s is where it really started to shift away from that, it felt feels like to me. I would say late 2000s is when it started to become, like, smart r-rated films for like cerebral r-rated films that were like meant to you know be thought-provoking and all of this um while also you know specifically not being broadly appealing in the way that like a child probably would but not having the budget you know having Mm -hmm. having to operate under a smaller budget with smaller expectations right yeah it's true i mean you know i i think this is a this 1990 movie is a bad example of like a the, uh, somebody taking that much of a risk though because it was right. still arnold schwarzenegger in a giant action so movie. arnold who was he yeah he was he was guaranteed money at this time that's yeah. true so but yeah i agree i think i i you know i'm all for it well and one of the things is i i want to i want to re- when we revisit uh total recall the remake i think that's gonna be something to look at you know i'm sure that was pretty pg-13 too right it, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure, but if it was, you know, that that on the surface right there is going to tell you something about that about that movie, right? Anyway, we'll we'll get into that, but um, I, I think that's this is a good place to leave it. Uh, this movie is really fascinating. I think it is of a time. I think it is trying to say something about the height of '80s excess, right? Because we're still sort of coming off of that, like where everybody I, I think knew that that um, excess was at its was at its peak, and that like there was something about it that I think rubbed people the wrong way or they could see it going bad, um, which I think played out. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to look at this movie as, as a little time capsule, um, as it was like projecting forward into the future of like, where are we headed? Um, and you know, where's corporations headed and capitalism headed. Right. Right. And it's crazy to look back and see like how absurdist the biggest movies in the world were at this period of time too. Because it's like, it's not just that they were making a commentary about excess. The movie itself was excess and it was successful because of that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do a little time jump. Uh, This is actually tomorrow from when we were recording this. Uh, We forgot to record us weighing in on which was better, the short story or the film. And we couldn't let that stand because that's what we're doing this year. We're making the vote, so we decided to to jump on here and, and record uh record our take on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was kind of clear uh, in the episode. I think just from context, at least for for my answer, um, it's clear which one I'm going to choose. But I guess we can talk through it a little bit, and maybe I'll feel differently. Oh, no, I mean, hit me with it, man. It sounds like you're sounds like you're you're leaning towards the movie. Yeah, movie. It's the movie. Okay. For me. I mean, you know, I I think as we have to with a lot of these things, we have to definitely all props to the the writer the person who came up with it philip k dick um you know like i said it's i think it's a really great skeleton of a story it's got great sci-fi elements great just sort of psychological look at at memory and how that shapes a human being and all of that um but just i think elevated by paul verhoeven in in the film i think that you know we get some over the top things that were maybe in the story that were were, like you've said cranked up to 11 uh to quote spinal tap or maybe even to 13 i think i said said. 13 yeah Yeah. (laughs) so we'll crank it up to 13 but yeah it was you know it's it's an absurd movie 
but I think it definitely elevated and and fleshed out what was set up in the the Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm riding or dying with Philip K. Dick this time. No, I'm just kidding. I I, I like <laughs> the movie better. <laughs> um, I I don't know if I'd say that the movie elevated it. Um, but I I do think it 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 took the material and it put a satirical social commentary on it. Um, wrapped up in an Arnold Schwarzenegger you know 80s action flick that like it's tough not to like and you know I, I had a good time watching this thing and this isn't a story that i hear people talk about when they talk about philip k dick a lot like I, I personally haven't heard a lot of people reference this one so i don't even think this is widely considered you know one of his best works um so unless you're you know outside of the diehard philip k dick enthusiasts i i think it's pretty safe to say that this movie is the more memorable uh, version of the story um they t- they did so much with it that is original they added so much that it really is one of those adaptations that's very very loose um so in that sense all props to to verhoven and, and what they were able to achieve so yeah for me as well the film which it feels like we've done we've been weighing in on the film quite a bit recently hopefully that uh i don't know i personally hope that changes more <laughs> i want to get some more where the where the book is clearly better because that'll like you know reinforce my worldview <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I just like to see the variety of them. Um, sometimes sometimes filmmakers take the source material and they swing for the fences and it doesn't work out. But this time, I think Paul Verhoeven was able to make something, like you said, maybe more memorable. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, either way, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, at least we enjoyed it. You know, at least we're not sitting here thinking like, oh, it was awful. Right. Yeah, it was it was it was not perfect. It's not going to be one of my favorite movies. Um, it's not going to make that list, but it was good. I had fun watching it. It is very of its time. And, uh, yeah, the movie was better. Uh, now we'll let you jump back in time to yesterday to finish out the episode. I don't know if you're ready, man. I think I'm ready to, to, to move on to, and, and announce our next project. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. Okay. So next up, we're going to be doing a patron commissioned, uh, novel and film. We're going to be doing an episode on the novel, an episode on the film, it is going to be Get Shorty, which uh, I have seen the movie, but I've never read the book. The book is a novel of the same name written by Elmore Leonard, who is a writer I've heard tons about. I know that there's been a lot of adaptations based off, based off of his work, but I've never actually read. Um, so I'm excited to finally you know, be able to tick that box and say that I've read an Elmore Leonard, Elmore Leonard novel, uh, which we will be doing next week. Yeah, and I'm excited because I I think that I've seen this movie, but honestly, I must have seen it like on HBO or something in passing. Like I barely remember it if I if I have seen it. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. Um, it's been a long time, and I'm I I said no, it's a Travolta flick. Um, but beyond that, like yeah, so much of it has has sort of faded from memory, and I'm really uh I need to get that Total Recall going. You know, (laughs) it's always nice when a patron wants wants us to do something like this too because it's like. You know, if this movie is important enough for someone who's a patron to want us to to cover it, to pay us to cover it, <laughs> to, yeah, there's got to be something to dig into here. So yeah. I'm excited to, you know, maybe something that I overlooked before. I'm excited to dig into and, and, you know, get good perspective on. Next week, we will be doing our episode on the book, which if you have seen the movie and you're curious what the book's like, definitely check out that episode. We'll, we'll talk about it in a non-spoiler way early on, let you know, and maybe you get a feel for whether or not it's a book you do want to go check out or if you just want to hear us talk about it, you know, and then we'll get into the film. Uh, hopefully you uh, stick with us and um, yeah, we're, we're back on track now. We're going to be continuing to do, to release our, our weekly episodes. Um, but yeah, Black Lives Matter and we 
still uh, oppose the police brutality that is fucking outrageous right now. And I continue to see videos after videos that is mind boggling. But anyway, yeah, um, <laughs> we spoke. I mean, we spoke before the episode about how, like, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel right doing some of this stuff, but we feel like some people are looking for escape. And, you know, yeah. we like to analyze movies and, and books and that's sort of what we do. So we're going to continue to support them and continue to keep on doing what we do well and like we talked about you know it's important stuff you know and it affects culture culture affects art art affects culture it's a product of culture um so we'll continue to look at it with that lens um as in addition to the you know the the creative lens so hopefully you enjoy that hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you did please leave us leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use um let us know that you enjoyed this episode um and i will grab that a screenshot of your of your uh review and i'll post it on social media i've been doing that a lot and you know if it was positive um and uh well even if it's not positive well even if it's not sometimes we got we got a one star recently that i that i shared around so um you know we we encourage you to do that it also helps us to get the word out you know it's fun we appreciate you taking the time to uh give us that sort of feedback absolutely and make sure you connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those adding to film make sure you join the council of inklings on facebook as well it's a facebook group we post polls, we post adaptation news, anything we see that sort of pertains to the podcast as a whole, anything we find interesting or potential projects that might be coming up. This project itself was a poll that we put up on our Council of Inklings and the majority spoke and said Total Recall, so we covered it. Yeah, we had it, we had it up against a couple of other sort of 80s slash 90s just out there movies. And uh, this is the one that won, but we also had like The Fly, we had uh, Johnny Mnemonic, um what was the other one we had on there i think maximum overdrive was on there as well oh that's right yeah the the stephen king <laughs> way over the top movie that he directed which i still want to cover at some point one day because uh he this it's the stephen king directorial debut uh so i think it's notable for that reason right yeah <laughs> it's legendary it's it's like a full-on coke binge film <laughs> yeah so. so if you want to hear us cover something like that definitely let us know and and you know join the council so you can vote uh also we are on goodreads i want to shout that out a little bit because we've had some people commenting on some forums and having some discussion we encourage you to go there and talk you know talk with us talk with each other about these adaptations and i think that's a good pretty good platform for it um so if you're on goodreads search for ink to film book club and you can join that thank you to ross bugden for the use of our intro and outro music all right, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, like we said, we'll be back with Get Shorty. Hopefully you'll join us for that. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.